Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We started last week a series on uh, the subject of angels. We talked a little bit about um, some of the foundation uh, information you need to know about angels, what their place used to be and what their place is tonight or what their place is now. Tonight we want to go a little bit further in some of that and so we'll, uh, uh, we'll go back to some of the scriptures that we looked at last Wednesday night. And uh, go a little bit further, if if the Lord wills. We're going to start in uh, in chapter one. Uh, we believe Paul was the author of the book of uh, Hebrews. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we say that. One is uh, Paul gives us really more information about angels uh, in the New Testament writings to the church uh, than anybody else, and many of the things that he says about angels. Uh, and not just exclusively limited to that subject, but also others as well. Uh, in uh, in other letters, he uh, he covers in the book of Hebrews. But uh, the first thing that he does in in trying to identify and establish that uh, that Christianity is greater than Judaism, and that Jesus is better than anything that the Jews have ever had, any covenant promise or anything that the Jews have ever had. One of the first thing he starts with is talking about angels. Now, the angels, uh, or the, the Jews, I should say, um, have a big, long list of ranks of angels. They've got uh, things that were handed down, uh, not, uh, not as we understand by God himself, but uh, the, the commentary. Um, there's two things in, that make up Judaism. One is the Torah. That's the, the word that God delivered. The second is the Talmud. That's the, the commentary from the rabbis. Well, the Talmud is full of information about angels and ranks of angels and names of angels and different things like that. Now, we don't know exactly where all those came from. They are purported to be things that uh, that Moses said uh, to Joshua and others that were in his inner circle as he came down from the mountain where he received the law, which was Mount Sinai. He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he came down with the, the Ten Commandments. Well, God certainly said more to him in 40 days and 40 nights than just Ten Commandments. Well, what else did he say? Well, that's uh, uh, much of what is um, uh, is uh, in the Talmud is, as I said, purported to be. There's no way to identify it uh, absolutely, and we don't take it as, as the infallible Word of God. But much of it is uh, purported to be what Moses told the people, the leaders of Israel, as he came down from the mountain. And so um, uh, for that reason, Paul identifies that Jesus is better than the angels. He identifies that Christianity is better than Judaism. So let's start in verse 1 of Hebrews 1. <clears throat> we'll go to some of this real quickly just to refresh your memory. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, that means different time periods and in different ways, spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. So he's saying Jesus supersedes any other way, any other time period, any other dispensation. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus is the one that made the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, how did God do that? Well, the Bible tells us God did it by Jesus. Jesus is the creator. God is the planner. Jesus is the one that executes the plan. Who, verse 3, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's an interesting thing to me how so little of the world um, 
or maybe a better way to say that is how little thought of the Word of God is to the, to most of the church, uh, to most of the world at large. That may be true of the church world too. But, um, uh, but look at how so much of the world is distracted and involved in other things, whether it's politics, whether it's, uh, careers, whether it's different things going on in their own lives or whatever. Yet the whole universe is upheld by the Word of God's power. Everything that you and I rely on, the sun coming up in the morning, that's because of it's being upheld by the word of his power. Everything comes down to the word of God. Therefore, it should be the primary thing in our lives. Amen? Okay, verse 4. He said, being made so much better. This is after Jesus was set down on the right hand of the Father. Being made so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So he's talking about Jesus is better than the angels because of what he accomplished. Through the work of redemption. For under which of the angels said he at any time. Here's what proves it. Which of the angels did God say to thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And also he said I will be unto him a father. And he shall be to, him, to me a son. Do you say that to any of the angels? Paul says in Acts chapter 13. I think it's verse 33 in his uh, address at Antioch. This uh, this phrase this day. Uh, uh, this is my beloved son. This day have I begotten thee. It's a reference to uh, Psalm 2, I think in verse 7. But Paul relates it to Jesus' resurrection, not his birth. Paul talks about Psalm 2, verse 7 being fulfilled in Acts 13, verse 33, when he's speaking at Antioch. He talks about that being that taking place when Jesus was raised from the dead, not when he was born of the Virgin Mary and came unto the earth. Interesting, huh? Then he goes forward and says, and again, verse 6, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, this is Jesus' birth, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. Well, Jesus would have to be greater than the angels even in his birth in order for the angels to worship him. Now, folks, I know that we've talked about some of this before, and this may be elementary to you, but it's very important in that Paul considers it by the Holy Ghost. Paul considers this an important point because he lists in rank... God's order of things. The angels worship Jesus. Therefore, why should we give attention to anything that an angel says above and beyond Jesus himself? Now, the reason this is important, um, well, I'll tell you what, I was going to do this a little later. Just hold your finger here in Hebrews. We'll come back to it. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 2. Here's one reason we believe that Paul was the writer or the author of the book of Hebrews, one of many because of one of the things that he said here, the, the, what he establishes in his letter to the, the Hebrews uh, right off the bat compared to what he said to the church. Notice he says in verse uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Let no man beguile you. Now, the word beguile means to cheat or de- defraud or rob. So he says, Don't let anybody cheat you out of your reward or defraud you of reward or rob you of your reward. How? How's that going to take place? In some voluntary humility. See, some people will act humble not because they're humble, but because they've got an, uh, an agenda and they're trying to con you out of something. So let no man rob you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You go to every cult on the face of the earth, and it all goes back to some angel giving somebody some revelation. 
That's why Paul establishes first and foremost that the angels worship Jesus. Because if the angels worship Jesus, let's just take Mormonism, for example. If the angels worship Jesus, what do we care that what Moroni, the angel, said? I've always been intrigued that the, the name Moroni is moron I. I don't know if that has any spiritual significance or not, but it's interesting to me. What do we care what Moroni says? If he's an angel of God, then he worships Jesus, right? Then why shouldn't we look to Jesus first and foremost? It always works this way, folks. And anytime people come up with some special revelation, it's because they've seen something from God that nobody else has seen. And very often it's an angel. Very often it's a message sent from God by some angel. That's why Paul establishes first and foremost, the angels worship Jesus. So why go through the angels? Let's focus on him. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because the angels have a very definite purpose. But if you don't understand what the purpose of angels is in God's order, then we're not going to be able to operate effectively regarding what God intended. Right? So, back to verse 6, and again, when he brings in the firstborn into the world, first begotten into the world, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who God maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness and the scepter of thy kingdom. In other words, angels are servants. They're ministers. They're flames of power, which is a reference to their power. There's a scripture that says that uh, Peter said that they excel in glory and strength or power and strength. So they are ministering spirits. They are very powerful. But they worship Jesus. They're servants. Jesus is the Son. Now, let's skip over. Paul continues this thought. We'll skip down a little bit. He talks about the end of the world, how that, um, uh, well, let's pick up in verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. That's Jesus. He's the one that created the earth. And the heavens are the works of thy hands, Jesus. They shall perish, the heavens and the earth shall perish, but thou will remain. And they all shall wax old as does a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. A vesture is kind of like a, a, a cloak or a, a, some kind of coat or something like that. He said, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but you are the same. Jesus will never change. And thy years shall not fail. But, here's the contrast, to which of the angels said he at any time? He did say this to Jesus. Did he say this to any of the angels? Well, the answer is certainly not. He did not. Which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand uh, till I make thine enemies thy footstool? Well, he never said that to anybody. Jesus has a much more exalted and high place than any of the angels. Now, as I said, the, the, the Jews have all kinds of ranks of angels. The Bible tells us of three of them. The Bible tells us of archangels. It tells us Michael is an archangel. There may be others, but we know that Michael is an archangel. The Bible tells us of the seraphim, and the Bible tells us of the cherubim. Now, the cherubim are the ones that surround the throne of God, apparently. These are the ones whose images were made that sat on top of the uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. On the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was, um, uh, was called the mercy seat. That's where the blood was placed. And the angel's wings were folded around that mercy seat. Well, it, was, uh, it uh, typifies 
that the cherubim surround the throne of God. The Bible tells us of this. It tells us the cherubim are the angels that have the four faces and they have eyes all the way around their heads and they're looking in every direction. The cherubim are the ones that God placed in the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life after they had fallen. And then we also know of something else, another class or rank of of, uh, uh, of angels that are called the seraphim. Now, Isaiah is the only one that tells us about this. And he said when he saw the Lord, he saw the throne of God, and above the throne of God were the seraphim, and they were the ones that were leading worship. They were the ones that were crying out, holy, holy, holy. This is uh, Isaiah 6, two, verses 2 and 3, I think it is. And so we, that's all we know about them. We don't know if that means that the angels that appeared uh, on the night that Jesus was born were the seraphim or if there's another class or rank or order of, uh, of angels. We don't know. We know a little bit, but not a lot. Now, anytime the Bible is quiet on a subject, silent on a subject, that indicates to me that we know everything we need to know to make it work. But if God gave us more and more information, can you imagine how people would get their eyes off Jesus and on to angels? I think it's the same way with the devil. The Bible really doesn't give you a whole lot of information about the devil. It tells you that he's there. It tells you he's your enemy. It tells you how to conquer him and how to exercise authority over him. But it really doesn't give you a whole lot of information about the devil or his operation. Well, why not? To keep you from focusing on the devil and his operation. Since we don't know a lot about the devil and how he operates or his order of demons and stuff like that, what do we do? We're left to focus on Jesus and our authority, which is what God intended from the beginning. Amen? So we know a little bit about ranks or orders of angels, but not a lot. But the Jews, man, they've made it an art form. They've created all this rank and this one's above that one and this one's above that one. Well, how do they know? We certainly don't know from the Word of God. I mean, it may be a good guess on their part, but uh, there's no way to know. Well, some of the Jews were so steeped in angels, and uh, and you well know that people... Any of you ever known anybody that was really, really into angels? If so, you know that there are people that have this air about them and like they're always off somewhere else, you know? I mean, you can't hardly look them in the eye because they're always somewhere else. Well, that's not the way God wants us to be. Jesus certainly wasn't that way. And Jesus said he could have called 12 legions of angels. Now, a legion of angels is um, uh, 6,000, I'm sorry, is uh, 12,000 soldiers in the Roman army. A Roman legion was 12,000 soldiers. So if it's if that's what Jesus is talking about, he's saying on the night that he was betrayed, he didn't have to go to the cross. He could have called more than 12 legions of angels. That would be, what, uh, 84,000 angels to protect him? Jesus was obviously into angels. He understood angels. He understood how they operated. He understood how things worked. But you don't see him spending a lot of time talking about angels. Why? Because they're servants. He's a son. They're a servant. What are you? Are you a servant? Or are you a son? Bible says, beloved, now are we the sons of God? It may not yet appear what we really look, what we really are. We may not look like what we really are at this moment, but we're sons of God now. That's why the next verse is so important. He said, we'll pick back up in uh, verse 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Verse 14, are not, are they not, the angels not, all ministering spirits sent forth to minister 
What's the next word? What's the next word? For. Sent forth to minister for, not to, for those who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, who in the world is he talking about? Hold your finger here and turn back with me to Galatians chapter 3. Paul makes a statement almost right off the bat when he writes to the Jews that upends everything about their their uh, claim to a place with God. They take the position that we are God's people. We are God's chosen people. Everybody else in the world is is outside of a covenant relationship with God. Therefore, we can call them dogs, and they did. But we are God's chosen people because, at least in part, God has given angels to protect Israel. And that's why they made such a big deal about angels. But Paul says that Jesus is the one to focus on, and the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, who are the heirs of salvation? Notice Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What makes you an heir of salvation? Jesus being the Lord of your life. So Paul upends their whole angel theology right off the bat. It's important for us to recognize that that angels are servants. They're servants. They're ones that do God's will. Now, we know, we talked a little bit about this last week. There were um, uh, a third of the angels that uh, went with uh, um, Lucifer in his rebellion against God. And at that point in time, they were defeated and they were placed in chains Everlasting change until the time of judgment comes. Change of darkness, the Bible says. So what does that mean? That means they are not in operation now. They are in a holding place. Just as much as Abraham's bosom was a holding place for the Old Testament saints until Jesus was raised from the dead, there is, an, there is a, a, a spiritual holding place for the angels that rebelled against God, and the time is coming where they will be judged. They haven't been yet, but they will be judged, and by all accounts... We have to assume that they're going to be cast into the lake of fire with Satan. But that's coming. That hasn't happened yet. That's coming. That means there are two-thirds of the angels that the Bible says were sealed. In other words, they made their once and for all choice. You know, we have a choice to make here on the earth once and for all. We look at the angels and we think, well, you know, is that fair? I've heard people say, is that fair? Somebody that, you know, one of the angels that left their first estate and followed after Satan in his rebellion. Is that fair for them to be eternally judged? Well, is it fair for a human to choose to reject Jesus to spend hell, spend eternity in hell too? We've got the same choice they have. That's the way it works with spirit beings, folks. You get your chance to make your choice. Let me encourage you to make your choice early. Avoid the seasonal rush. Now, we make a joke about that, but can you imagine what things are going to be like at the end? There are some people who are going to be clamoring, trying to get away from all the stuff that's going on in the earth and, and trying to protect themselves and provide for themselves. Will it be too late for them? I don't know. It depends on the, the condition of their heart. But there will be a rush. So here where it says, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, that makes you the heir of salvation. Making Jesus the Lord of your life makes you the heir of salvation. Therefore, 
let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. It says, are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits? Now, instead of ministering spirits, let's use the word servants. Because that's what minister means. To minister means to serve. So it's saying angels are spirit beings who are servants of those who are Christ's. In other words, those who have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. Now, folks, the Bible is saying very simply, and Paul is telling them this right up front. He's saying man is the one that has authority here on the earth because of Jesus, and the angels serve us. So quit looking at the angels like they're somebody. Now, I don't mean to say that in a disrespectful way because they are certainly greater in power than we are. They are certainly greater in strength than we are, but they are servants of God made available for for his children. Now, you know as well as I do that Paul didn't write this or whoever wrote it. I believe it was Paul, but whoever wrote it did not write in chapter and verse. That means chapter 2 is continuing the same thought. The angels are servants of the children of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, what is he talking about the things we've heard? Well, he just started talking to him in, in uh, verse 1 and verse 2 of the first chapter about God spoke to us in different ways in times past, but in the last days he's spoken unto us by his Son. In other words, he's saying, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we heard Jesus and the things that he heard Jesus say and what Jesus taught us. Why? For if the word spoken by angels, the Bible says the word of God came, meaning the law of Moses came by angels. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just and recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? Is he saying, be careful you don't go to hell? If that's the case, if that's what he's saying, then he must be writing to people that are unsaved. Now, without question, there are people that are unsaved that are going to hear of this letter and maybe be in the in, in attendance when it's read. But is the letter being written to the saved or the unsaved? It's being written to the Christians. So when he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I thought if we've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've already escaped. If you're talking about hell. That's what I went in for. That's what I, I signed up for. Didn't you? When I made Jesus the Lord of my life, that was an eternal choice for heaven instead of hell. Well, okay. Now, why would Paul be saying, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, what do you mean? I've already made Jesus the Lord of my life. Clearly, I'm not saying this is the only thing that it means, but clearly he's talking about the benefits of salvation and not just getting into it. Now, what are the benefits of salvation? The thing that he's just spoken of is having angels serve on your behalf. Turn with me over to Psalm 91. Let me prove this to you. Psalm 91. The great psalm of protection. We won't read the whole thing, but we want to pick up in um, let's start in verse seven. 
It says, a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. In other words, you may find yourself in the middle of trouble, but you don't have to worry about trouble catching you. Only with your eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. Verse 10, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now stop right there and think about what Paul just said in Hebrews chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Doesn't even the Old Testament tell you if you make the Lord your refuge, you just escaped? So he can't just be talking about getting into the family of God. He can't be talking about people missing hell and gaining heaven because these people have already missed hell by making Jesus the Lord of their lives. Right? So he's got to be talking about something more than just that. Now, certainly that would apply to any of the unsaved that happen to be in attendance, and we never take anything for granted. Certainly there are unsaved people in in most church services and gatherings and so forth, and so we want to reach out to them. We want to make sure that they have the opportunity to make Jesus their Lord. But Paul's writing this to people that are born again. Verse 11, Psalm 91. Well, let me back up to verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Now, notice what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament says, and remember, God hadn't changed. We're under a better covenant established upon better promises, but God doesn't change. The Old Covenant just couldn't be uh, perfected until Jesus shed his blood. But God's plan was the same. He was doing all he could to provide for man's redemption prior to Jesus coming to the earth and, and making a sacrifice on our behalf, right? So God hadn't changed. And under the old covenant, he said, no evil shall befall, neither neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling because the angels are taking care of you. Well, when Jesus came, did the angels quit? Did they go on vacation? Are they sitting on a beach somewhere waiting for Jesus to come for the church and then they'll crank up again for the tribulation? Of course not. Why? Because the angels are servants of God to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. People that kept the Old Testament law were those who should be heirs of salvation. They couldn't in their own day, but that's as close as they could come by keeping the law of Moses. Verse 12, they shall bear thee up. They, the angels, shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So we're talking about protection here. God's plan for the angels was to protect his people, right? Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Now, the reason that this is important for us to see is because he connects this to the angels. The angels not only keep evil from coming against you and any plague from coming nigh your dwelling, he, they bear you up so that they protect you, but they also strengthen and help you, according to this verse, defeat the devil in your life. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Part of the deliverance he's just talked about is through the work of angels. Because he is, uh, I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. You know how many times the Bible talks about answers coming by angel? Old Testament and New Testament. When Paul was on board the ship, Jesus appeared to him once and told him what to do. And another time an angel appeared to him and told him what to do. 
He shall call on me, upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. The word honor means to weigh you down with blessings. I wonder if angels have anything to do with that. Uh, yeah, actually they do. With long life will I satisfy him and show him, notice the last phrase, and show him my salvation. Now, if angels are ministering spirits or servants of God, spirit beings who are servants of God for those who shall be heirs of salvation, then I wonder if angels have a part in showing you God's fullness when it comes to what salvation entails. Yeah. Turn with me. We're in the Psalms. Turn with me over to Psalm 103. You know the 103rd Psalm, first few verses of it, but you may not know some of the rest of it. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who, here's the benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, thank God that's true. Who heals all thy diseases. Where did that come from? Notice the same verse. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeems thy life from destructions. The redeemed means to rescue out of. God rescues lives from destruction. As surely as he forgives sins and iniquities, he rescues lives from destruction. As surely as he forgives sins and iniquities, he heals you from all your diseases. Who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. As sure as he forgives sin, he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. In other words, shows you good stuff. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Now skip down with me. Um, Yeah, let's start in verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. That means you following God will do something for your grandchildren. You committing your life to the Lord establishes something not only for your own kids, but for your for for their children as well. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant. And to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. How does God's kingdom rule over all? It says the Lord's throne is in heaven, but how does the kingdom rule over everything? Jesus can't be everywhere. Jesus laid aside his omnipotence when he came to the earth and took on a human body. Now he has a spiritual body, but spirit bodies can't be everywhere at once. So how does his kingdom rule over all? He's in us, but not because he's living in us in his spiritual body. He's living in us by the spirit of God, by the Holy Ghost, who doesn't have a body. Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared to his disciples, they thought it was a ghost. They said, oh, here's a ghost. Jesus said, handle me, guys. A spirit has not flesh and bone as I have. He didn't say flesh and blood because he emptied his blood out. As a sacrifice. But he said a spirit has not flesh and bone as I have. That means Jesus has a flesh and bone body now. And he still bears the marks. He's got nail holes in his feet and nail holes in his wrists.
He's got scars, whatever scars he had from the beatings that he took upon his face. I don't imagine that he's going around shirtless, but if he did, we could see the marks on his back too. He still bears in his body the marks of your redemption and mine. So how does his kingdom rule over all? The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Notice verse 20, bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments hearkening unto the voice of his word. Can I ask you a question? Why does that not say hearkening unto his word? Isn't the word of God what the angels obey? Actually, the Bible says they hearken or they obey the voice of his word. Okay, let's try to figure this out. When God first spoke the word, his voice established what his word is. Now we have a record of his word. But unless they were there listening really close to the voice of his word, how are they going to operate on what he originally said and make that apply to your your life and my life when they're supposed to be servants for you and me? Folks, here's what it means. It means when you give voice to God's word, that's when they become your servants. Angels are waiting for you to speak the word. When you speak the word of God, when you take what the Bible says, no matter what area of life it happens to pertain to or whatever you have need of, when you speak the word of God, you put those spirit servants to work. That's why words have always been so important. The Bible says that by your words, you're either justified or you're condemned. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean whenever we speak the word, God runs around through the world and run through life trying to trying to make this happen? He's, he's like the ultimate chess master. He's playing chess with everybody's life, moving this this piece there and this piece there. No, the angels hearken to the voice of his word. They hearken to the voice of his word. Let me uh, let me remind you of another scripture. Let me see if we want to read any more of this. Uh, yeah, let us read verse 21 before we leave. Bless you, the Lord, all ye as hosts. You ministers of his. Now, the ministers and the host has got to refer to the angels that he just talked about in the previous verse. Bless the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. You know, the things, how many of you ever felt like when you're confessing the word or you're claiming something by faith, you're trying to twist God's arm to make him do it? We've all had that feeling, haven't we? The Bible says that God has given us the angels to hearken unto the voice of his word because it's his pleasure for his word to come to pass. In other words, God wants you to be well more than you want to be well. God wants you to be blessed more than you want to be blessed. God wants you to have favor on your job more than you want the favor that you're claiming. Whatever promise there is of his word, whatever you confess from his word, God wants it for you more than you want it for yourself. And the angels are sent to do his good pleasure. That's why it's his word. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 
Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Talking about the kids that are following him. You know, it's an amazing thing to me that kids wanted to be around Jesus. He must have been a fun guy. Not too many kids want to be around preachers nowadays. <coughs> Excuse me. I can attest to that. Some of the parents in the church have to really work on their kids to, to, to be friendly when they see me instead of turning away and stuff like that. And when I see kids, I become try to become a lot more animated than with the adults. <coughs> but they wanted to be around Jesus. They followed him. They wanted to be with him. <clears throat> he must have been a fun guy. Take heed ye that despise, take heed that ye despise, not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Notice the Bible says the kids have angels. Now, Brother Hagen, uh, the Lord appeared to Brother Hagen one time. He tells a story and uh, what he, he told it in many different times in his sermons. But he also wrote about it in, uh, in the first book that he published, I believe, in Visions. And he said this. He said that uh, there was a time when the Lord appeared to him and um, there was an angel that stood behind him and off to the side. <coughs> and uh, he said, Brother Hagin said that every time that he looked at the angel, the angel opened his mouth like he was going to say something. But then every time that happened, Brother Hagin looked away and looked back at Jesus. And finally, he said, uh, I mean, he and Brother Hagin said uh, of his own experience, he said, I've got Jesus here. Why do I want to listen to an angel? Let that sink in a little bit. Anyway, he asked Jesus, he said, who is this big fella? And Jesus said, that's your angel. He's come with a message from the throne room of God. And, G- and Brother Hagin answered uh, or asked um, Jesus, he said, what do you mean my angel? I've got an angel? He said, yeah, that's him. And then he referred to Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. He said, don't you remember I said that their angels always behold, are always before the face of my father? And then Jesus said something so simple that came to such revelation. He said, you don't lose an angel. You don't lose your angel just because you grow up. I'm kind of glad about that. And why would you? You're still God's child. Right? Are you aware, and I'll... Read this verse of scripture to you. I know we're running out of time. So let me read this to you from uh, um, Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about the church. And he makes an interesting statement here. And again, Paul knows who he's talking to. He's talking to those that believe greatly, or at least have been taught to believe greatly in angels. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. He's contrasting Mount Sinai, which represents the law with... um, the new covenant, which is represented by Mount Zion. And he said in verse 22, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God and unto the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels. Now, folks, the Holy Spirit inspired the author to write that there is an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable means more than you can count. I'm wanting to know how many of them are mine. It's clear that the Bible says that everybody gets one when you're born. 
No, it doesn't say that at all. It says one of yours always stands before the face of God. See, we look at it like everybody's got an angel and that angel is up in heaven standing before the throne room of God. Listen, I don't need my angel standing in heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing off on God's plan. There must be a reason for him being there. That's great. But if he's my servant, I want him working here. You see my point? Jesus is just saying one of your angels is always before the face of the Father. But if he's got an innumerable company of angels, how many is that per person? And I've got something else to ask. If there's an innumerable company of angels, and let's just say, just imagine for a moment, that they're divided evenly among the people of God. What about all those Christians that aren't using theirs? Can I have them too? Because I would submit to you folks that most are not using them. How many Christians do you know that are speaking the word of God? They're hearkening to the voice of the Lord, the voice of his word. They're hearkening unto the words spoken by the Christian. How many Christians do you know that speak the word of God in their lives? I know a lot of Christians that speak everything else. Well, that doesn't put the angels to work. That causes them to fold their wings or their hands or whatever and, and, and stand idly by. While they say, things never work out for me. There go the angels. Okay. But if the angels can find somebody that says, everything I put my hand to prospers, now they've got something to work with. Folks, confession is not just so that you can get stuff. Confession is so that you put the word of God to work in your life. And the angels have a lot to do with that. A lot to do with that. Look with me. We'll close with this. Turn back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't really have any notes on this, so I'm kind of playing it by ear as we go. There are some, certainly some things that I want to get to. But it's kind of hard to decide what part do you do. You do. I mean, how do you, how do you sequence this stuff? You know, do you take it line by line, you know, make it as dry as we can just so everybody gets the information? Or do you, you know, what do you do? Well, Second Kings chapter 6 tells us a story, a very important story. Elisha is the prophet in Israel, and uh, Syria is its main enemy at that point in time. The Syrian king is doing everything he can to defeat Israel. And uh, he outnumbers Israel. He's uh, stronger than Israel is. His uh, military might is greater than Israel's uh, armies. And uh, and so he's he's certainly got the upper hand in every regard. And so he plans ambushes. But Elisha is alerted by the Spirit of God. He gets revelation on where these ambushes are going to take place. So he sends word to the king of Israel and says, don't go this way. There's a there's a trap set for you. Well, this happens time and uh, time and time again. And finally, the king of Syria looks to his advisors and says, somebody's a spy. We're going to find out who's who's selling us out here. And one of the advisors is smart enough to know what's going on. And he says, no, that's not the problem. The problem is that prophet over in Israel, his name is Elisha. He hears what you say in your bedroom. God's showing him what you're going to do. So the king of Syria, being the smart guy he is, says, okay, let's go capture Elisha. Oh, good. Yeah, God won't tell him about that. Right. We'll sneak up on him. Seriously, what's he thinking? Verse 15. 
And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, what are we going to do? The whole army of Syria has come out after us. What are we going to do? And he, Elisha, answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed. Now, this is all happening real quick. I'm sure Gehazi, who is the servant, that's the servant's name. I'm sure Gehazi is doing a head count real quick. Okay, there's more with us than with them. I count you and me. And a whole lot more than us out there. So Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Elisha see them? Did Elisha look out when the when Gehazi, the servant, said, oh, boy, we're in trouble. The Syrian army's come out against us. Did Elisha look out the window and say, oh, don't worry, there's, our angels are out there. I see there's a bunch of them right over there. Did he see them? We don't know that. But we know that he knew they were there. How did they know, how did he know they were there? Folks, as far as I'm concerned, he knew they were there in the same way that we're supposed to know they're there for us. Because God's word says so. It doesn't say that he saw them. It doesn't say that he had to see them any more than it, than, than you and I should have to see them to know. But he prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Now notice the rest of this. Round about Elisha. The angels didn't surround the Syrian army. I mean, we kind of casually say, you know, the, the Elisha and Gehazi were surrounded by the Syrian army, but God had the Syrian army surrounded. Well, okay, that makes for a nice story and a nice image. But the fact is, the Bible says the angels surrounded Elisha. They're there for one reason, and that is to protect Elisha. Now, how many were there? Well, it says the whole mountainside was full. Apparently, God wasn't, uh, didn't have a shortage that day. Wouldn't it have been terrible if the king of Syria had planned to do that on a day that God had something big going on on the other side of the world? No, folks, there's an innumerable company of angels. There's an innumerable company of angels. I love the rest of the story. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of the Lord. Now, this is not sickness. This is not disease. This is a temporary condition. It's temporary blinded. You remember Paul was temporary blind, temporarily blinded by the glory of the light that shined round about him on the road to Damascus. That's not sickness. That's not disease. He was blinded by the glory of God. Maybe that's what blinded these guys. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. This is a crafty old guy, isn't he? He walks out there and says, hey, what are you guys doing? Well, we're looking for Elisha, but we are all, we're all blind. Oh, don't worry. I'll take you to him. <laughs> but he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, what, what am I going to do with them? Shall I kill them? 
<laughs> I like this king. He's smart enough to know I didn't have anything to do with this. I better talk to the guy that knows. Let me ask you a question. What was the work of the angels? They had to be there for some reason. What'd they do? Were they the ones that smote them with blindness? When he prayed for the Lord to, to strike them blind, this temporary blindness, did that come through the work of the angels? Well, we could certainly say yes without fear of contradiction. We can't know for sure, but you can't prove otherwise. What were the angels there for? The angels were there to wait for Elisha to tell them what to do. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation? You know, so many times people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord, why in the world did you let these things happen to me? I've got another suggestion. I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be a time. It won't last forever, but there's going to be a period of time where God's going to let the angels ask us, why in the world didn't you put us to work? If our lives play like a big video screen, and I don't know if it works like this or not, but let's just imagine for a moment that your life plays like a big video screen, and all of a sudden there's this tragic event that took place, and people, bless their hearts, say, oh, Lord, I just don't understand. That's the point where the, the, the tape is going to show the real story, our eyes are going to be opened and they're going to see that all these angels were there ready and willing to do the job. And the angels are going to say, if you'd only told us, if you'd only said. Folks, that's what Hebrews 1.14 means. Are they not all ministering spirits? Spirits to serve for those who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, it's interesting that it doesn't say minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Because the angel's work is not limited to just bringing stuff to you. Doing stuff that, that or doing things that, that bring benefits and blessings into your hand. They're here to minister for you. If it was minister to, then they would be bound by just whatever God said and it would have to work automatically. Healing would automatically fall on everybody like ripe cherries off of a tree or everybody would have to be prosperous because they're in Christ and so forth. But that's not the way it works. It works according to your faith. And the Bible says the rule of faith is to believe in your heart and say with your mouth. That's why they hearken to the voice of God's word. They're waiting for somebody to speak. Your angel, I, I don't, I don't think they, I don't, I'm not sure. But I don't think you can share angels. I don't think angels, I'm pretty sure this is accurate. I don't think angels can say, I got a bad draw on this one. I want to work over there. <laughs> but the angels are waiting to do God's good pleasure. How is that going to happen? Oh, Pastor Mike, that's what I want. I want the blessing of God in my life. I want God to do good things. I want all, I, man, I just want everything. Just give it all to me. Well, you can have everything the Bible says is yours, but it comes not because God said it. It comes because you say what he says. Confession goes a lot more than just here's the way to get what you need. 
Confession is the means whereby everything that upholds the universe is put in motion according to God's plan and purpose. Amen? You've got a lot of angels out there. I don't know how many is a lot, but you've got a lot of angels out there. Let me say this. I am firmly convinced that all of us have more angels than we'll ever need. I would also venture to say that when the time comes, unless we are people that live by the word, you may have angels fighting to try to get the job done. Fighting with one another to be the ones. If there's only one confession that you make that's according to the word, I'm sure the angels are trying to be the ones to bring that to pass. Because that's what God made them for. But if you're a person that lives their lives continuously confessing the word, you can keep them all busy. Maybe that should be our goal. How much of the word of God can we speak to keep all of our angels busy? Or if we speak God's word enough, will God give us extra angels? Now, folks, I know I'm trying to make jokes of this stuff, but you understand that God wants these ministering spirits, these servants, spirit beings who are servants. He wants them serving you to bring his word to pass. That's what the Bible's telling us. That's exactly what the Bible's telling us. And it's all because Jesus redeemed you. If Jesus could call 12 legions of angels when he was in need, I wonder what that means we've got. Maybe the same. And actually, Jesus said he could call more than that. If it's just that, that's 84,000 angels. We got some work to do. That's a lot of confessing the word. Amen. Thank God we don't have to twist his arm to make this happen. This is what he designed. This is his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you've given ministering spirits, spirit beings who serve on behalf of those who are heirs of salvation. Father, forgive us for not having put our angels to work. But from this day forward, we commit that they will have every opportunity to hearken unto our voice as we speak your word. Thank you, Father, for revelation that comes, direction that comes. And blessings that are received by the work of the angels because of your great plan of redemption. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.